0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, June 9th. It is 1030 a.m., which means it is time for Bible study. It is time to study 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, We've gone through the first four chapters. You can find those posted on the Grace Abides podcast and the No Shortage of Questions podcast. And today we are in chapter 5, a lot of good stuff in chapter 5. I think you're going to like this. Uh, Study about relationships, how to be in relationship with others, uh, how to be in a relationship with other people of faith. Uh, So, good stuff today. And uh, thank you for making this part of your day and for joining me as we go through 1 Timothy chapter 5. So, let's jump right in with verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul writes, Do not speak harshly to an older man, but speak to him as to a father, to a younger man as brothers to older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So Timothy is basically serving as a pastor, right? Or, or maybe even like a bishop in that he's kind of overseeing some some congregations. And so uh, this is a command, I don't know if a command, but whatever it is, um, it's a charge to Timothy. There we go. Um, Do not speak harshly to an older man, but speak to him as a father, to younger men as brothers. So, uh, so, so let's talk about, Timothy, uh, basically as a pastor or a religious leader, speaking to people who are older than him. How is it that Timothy is to speak with people who are older than him? Well, speak to the older men like you would your father. Speak to the older women as you would your mother. Uh, or maybe you can even say, speak to the older men like you would your grandfather or to the older women like you would your grandmother. Uh, you know, With respect, with honor, um, you know, affection, you know, don't, certainly don't try to, um, put yourself at a place of superiority over them, uh, but instead speak to them as, uh, as you would somebody who you have a great deal of respect and admiration for. And then your relationships with your peers, with people your own age, uh, or in basically in that age group, uh, speak to the men as brothers and the women as sisters with absolute purity. So, but you know, purity, I, Obviously the the first thing that pops up is sex, right? If you're talking to younger women. Uh but you know, be have your relationships be free of lust and grown out of Christian love. Uh but in in other ways in what other ways can you describe your relationship with your siblings? How what other characteristics mark your relationship uh, with your siblings? So, how would you how would you define your relationship with your siblings? What would you say uh, about your relationship with your siblings? Uh, you know, first, I would say the first thing is with my siblings is expect conflict. Right, there is gonna be conflict in our relationships with our siblings. It's just part it's natural it's part of life right our brothers and sisters they know us better than anyone else they know how to push our buttons they know what gets to us and you're we're gonna have conflict right specific as we grow older when we get together you know it's still gonna happen it's still gonna happen uh so expect conflict but every time there's conflict there's an opportunity for grace so when you have conflict you have an opportunity for grace Uh, i love the and i know this is made up whatever but i Watch uh, Downton Abbey a lot. I've watched through it. I don't know too many times. Uh, and and the, the 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 daughters right, Mary and Edith. They don't get along. If you've watched Downton Abbey, uh, if you haven't, humor me. But if you'd have, great. Uh, Mary and Edith. They don't get along, right? But at one point, they come together and say, Mary says, you know, Edith, I don't think in the future we're ever going to get along. You know, we don't have to like each other, but. For the sake of our our relationship as sisters and the importance in that, you know, it's it someday in the future we're going to be the only ones who remember our parents and our other siblings and people who have meant a great deal to us. Uh, and so, for the sake of of our family and for the sake of the love that we have for one another, even if we don't like each other, right, we show each other grace and we show, you know, we we are generous with each other and we say, you know, even though I don't really like you, I got your back, right, as as a sibling. I I don't really like you. I I don't like the thing you say i don't like the things you do but i got your back because you know we are siblings we are brothers and sisters and, and the importance and the power of that and and how you know i think that's an important part of the relationships that we have with one another is saying you know i i, I don't have to, i don't necessarily agree with you and i don't approve of everything you do and all that but but you know what uh, i've got your back and i'm i'm someone who will defend uh, your reputation and you know i will i will care for you like I care for my siblings, uh, and so I think that's an important part of our relationship with one another. An important part of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, the community of faith, the family of faith that you are a part of, is to look at those who are also a part of it and to see them you know, as more than just a friend, more than just another person who's in the same building as you, singing the same song as you, uh, but to see them as a brother or a sister and to uh, to get their back and, and, and hope that they would uh, get yours uh, as well. Okay, so then uh, Paul switches to widows. Let's take a moment and talk about widows. So we're going to do verses three through five, uh, and then we'll do verse eight. Honor widows who are really widows. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should first learn their religious duty to their own family and make some repayment to their parents, for this is pleasing in God's sight. The real widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication in prayers night and day. So, okay, honor widows who are really widows. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, right? We hear that today. Say, so, hey, what? What does that mean? Honor widows who are really widows. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, but okay. So, the Christian church, the early Christian church, inherited a tradition of charity for those in need from the Jewish faith, and and basically the Jewish faith has a long history of doing really well taking care of uh, widows and taking care of their own. And so the, the early Christian church inherited that tradition and was really good at it. And if we look at the, the book of Acts, we see like in Acts chapter six, so literally the first church appointed someone to, their job was to care for the widows uh, in the community. And so to take care of those widows who are in the community. However, there are two types of widows. There is the type of widow who um, has a large extended family has large children and those children has grandchildren and that type. And, and those, you know, the, they have resources uh, in their family to help take care of of, of a widow. Others don't. And so uh, so you have the, the widows who have the family who to help and you have the widows who don't. Okay, verse 8. And whoever does not provide for relatives and especially for family members has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, okay, the, the, the church's charity was never meant to uh, excuse the children from, uh, from their responsibility of taking care of their mother, their widowed mother. So uh, in Greek law... Children were bound to support their parents. So if the the parents' retirement plan was their children, uh, and, and this is very common around the world today. I mean, uh, you know, this is this is common in China and I uh, know uh, Hong Kong, where you know the the, the children uh, are raised up, they get good jobs, and then they take care of their uh, their parents. And so if if you had a child who was able to take care of uh, you as a widowed mother and chose not to, that child was treated like a father who has children and doesn't take care of them, like a deadbeat father or mother is what we would say. Uh, someone who has a child and then abandons them uh, and or maybe uh, leaves them with one parent and then doesn't send child support or that kind of thing. So, uh, so Paul is saying that basically... If you are a widow and you have family who can take care of you, then you should go and have your family take care of you. However, if you do not, then the church has a responsibility to take care of you. Uh, And so we, you know, we see this. This charge again from Paul, uh, for for family members to take care of their widowed mothers uh, at at after the the passing of, of the father, and 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 as the father passes, so does the inheritance to the oldest son or to the children, right? And so, literally, the widow doesn't get anything. The widow has to rely on the resources that has been passed down to the son or to the heir and and so the heir then has the responsibility of taking care of the mother as well. So that's that's part of how it works. And if you choose not to take care of your mother, then Paul says, uh, you should be treated worse than an unbeliever. You have denied the faith and is worse you are worse than an unbeliever. Uh, so but I think a lot of us uh, nowadays have have this issue of parents who are getting older and you know do we care for them uh, do they want us do they want help do they want us to care for them? Uh, would they rather be on their own would they rather be independent? Uh, and so what does it mean to care for an aging parent now? what does it mean to care for an aging parent who has financial resources? so obviously the world is different today uh, however as a child of a widowed parent you know we should do all that we can to take uh, take the best care we can uh, of them so um, okay. Verses 9 and 10, he continues talking about widows. This is going to be fun. Uh, Okay, verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old and has been married only once. She must be well attested for her good works as one who has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to doing good in every way. Okay, so so basically what Paul does here is he sets criteria for widows who are worthy of charity. Okay, so that's interesting. Uh, let her be put on the list if she's not less than 60 years old um, and has been married only once. Okay, so you have to be old enough and you have to have been married only once, uh, which Today would sound a lot differently than it would back then, right? Because divorce wasn't common back then. Uh, So, you know, it's it's different today. Uh, And um, be well attested for her good works. Uh, so she must have a, a reputation for being a good person, right? The uh, you know of doing good works, of being helpful and being. Uh, and I love this that who has brought up children, um, uh, brought up children. We hear that we think, oh, I brought, you know, bringing up a child now. But but it's not just raising your own child in the Christian way. It's what have you done for other children too? Uh, have you prepared um, and given a home for an orphan? Right? Orphan, there were a lot of orphans back then. A lot of people, you know, the world was a lot different back then. There were a lot more orphans, uh, a lot of children born of affairs. Uh, you know, they were, could be sent to brothels or uh, made slaves for gladiators, uh, you know. But, um, you know, and so the world is different. But, but I think that the point remains the same. When we think about the good works that we do, you know, how, how do we look out for children, for other people's children? When, when I think about growing up, you know, how many, how many adults helped raise you? How many adults who might have been the parents of a friend, and it's not necessarily that your parents weren't good parents, but you might have been over their house, and and when you were over their house, they treated you like one of their children. Right when you went out, they took you out to eat, they took you to see a movie, right? And so, we have all these parents who help raise us not just our moms and dads, you know, but the parents of our friends who helped tie our shoes when we were young and didn't know how to tie our shoes, right? Who helped us if we fell, who were there for us in the same way they were there for their children. Uh, I think it's an important part of what it means to be a member of a community is to understand that the our children are our chil- children. And it's not necessarily, I don't have the responsibility to raise your child and I'm not trying to take your place. But if your child is over my house, I'm going to treat them as if they're my child. Not so much as far as uh, uh, punish them for mistakes, right? But but you know, feed them and take care of them and uh, do, you know, nice things for them. I think that's an important part of what it means to be a part of a community. Um, hosp- hospitable, shown hospitality, wash the feet, uh, the saints feet. So, you know, this, if people are coming into town, uh, you know, back then in, in, hotels, inns, you know, expensive, dirty, you know, you just wasn't a place where you wanted to go. And so, you know, people stayed, strangers would stay with you. And, and I know that that still happens today when like uh, college choirs come to town. They, you know, they stay in people's houses and stuff like that um, and wash the feet of the saints. You know, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and the gospel of John. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's part of being a servant, right? understanding that we are to serve one another, to serve one another and to be generous with our time and to help one another. And, uh, you know, washing feet is, was typically the task of a slave, but it was, it was a dirty thing to do because feet got dirty. And so to wash someone's feet, obviously I can wash my own feet. I don't need someone to wash my feet, but to act to have someone actually wash my feet, you know, to do something for me that I don't need, but just out of, out of the the goodness of their heart. You know, I think it's an important part of what it means. So, so basically what it's saying is, you know, I don't necessarily have to have needs for you to do something nice for me. Right. Uh, I think that's a, an important part of it. So, so we are called to be there to help one another, even if that other person doesn't need help, just to be there for them to do something nice, right. Random act of kindness. So, uh, qualifications, not just for widows, but I think for every Christian, uh, can, can you know these these are important things for all of us uh, all of us to do let's keep talking about widows verses 11 through 14 but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when their sensual desires alienate them from christ they want to marry and so they incur condemnation for having violated their first pledge besides that they learn to be idle gadding about from house to house And they are not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children and manage their households so that they give the adversary no occasion to revile us. Okay, what's this all about? This is this is weird. I don't even know what the word gadding means. Does anybody know what that means? Gadding. G-A-D-D-I-N-G. Gallivanting. Is that what that means? I don't know. Okay, so. A young widow had to make a decision shortly after the death of her husband. She was either going to be available to be married again, or she was going to become a like a bride of the church or bride of Christ, right? And so basically, then they would pledge their lives to the service of the church, and the church would take care of them. And so uh, what happened was young widows who at first, you know, they're full of sorrow and they're full of, you know, grief, they decide they want to pledge their life to the church well as a couple of years go by and they they you know they you never get over the loss of a husband right but but you get it's better, you know you get a little bit better and they think well you know i have as what paul says here like sensual needs and so i think i want to remarry well you've pledged yourself to the church paul's saying so early on don't make the pledge to the church is what Paul's saying, you know, just, just don't make the pledge. And that way just say, you know, eventually I'm going to remarry. And, and, you know, so that way you don't have to go back on your pledge that you've made. Maybe uh, uh, it's alienate them from Christ. Right. So um, the reality is there was no, there was no way for a woman. There's no opportunities for a woman to work back then apart from prostitution. Uh, and so they needed to either remarry or dedicate their lives to the church. And and if they dedicate their lives to the church, the church would take care of them. We see this like with Ruth, right, where uh, Ruth and Naomi, Ruth and Naomi. Asked, yeah. So, uh, you know, being widowed young, you end up having to remarry. And so uh, with Boaz. So that's that's that story. Uh, good thing we're not studying that right now because my memory is a little um, foggy. Right. Not as good as we used to be. OK, um, so. Paul was afraid that women would, um, dedicate their lives to the church. Uh, and, and then they would have desires and, and want, or that they would dedicate their lives to the church and they get bored and they get bored. And, and, and when they were bored, it says, you know, that, uh, give the adversary no occasion to revile us. You know, that the, uh, this idea that the, the devil takes advantage of those who are idle. And, and so, um, you know, you'd get bored because, you know, there's not a whole lot to do. And so just, you know, remarry, Paul says, remarry and have more kids and manage your household and do all that stuff. Uh, But, you know, so that's what the young widows should do. That's what he says. Okay, enough about widows. I'm done talking about widows. Okay, verses 17 through 20, widows are behind us. Paul writes, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out of the grain and treading out the grain and the labor deserves to be paid. Never accept any accusation against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses as for those who persist in it, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Okay, a couple things here. This is, this is to me an interesting four verses An interest. okay. So, um, you know, basically, the elders that Paul is talking about here is pastors, right? Pastors to communities and people who um, who teach and preach, right? Uh, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain." So, I mean, is that what I do for a living? <laughs> what do you do for work, Nick? Well, I am an ox who treads out the grain, according to Paul. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what that. I don't get that, but I think it's funny. Um, And the laborer deserves to be paid. So there you go. Uh, Pastors are to be honored and paid, which thankfully I'm honored and paid. So that's great. And I hope all pastors are. Uh, But, um, okay. Never accept any accusation against the pastor on the evidence of two, uh, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay. So uh, this goes back to Jewish law, Deuteronomy 19.15. Um, where no no evidence based on a single witness is enough to condemn someone. So Deuteronomy 19.15, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Uh, And so at a later time, the Christian church took that and then at a later time decided that they all have to be Christians. The witnesses have to be Christians for their uh, testimony to be relevant or accepted. Uh, But you have to ask the question, what about an inappropriate sexual relationship, right? Where a pastor takes advantage of someone in the congregation. Typically, you're only going to have one witness. So uh, w- what happens when it gets into he said, she said? And so my guess is that over the years, this uh, these verses have led to abusers uh, continuing to abuse and not being held accountable for their actions. So, you know, w- we have to make sure that we Listen to people, listen to women, listen to people who have been abused, take their, take their accusations seriously and have a very strict tolerance policy about that. Because for many years, pastors have gotten away with this kind of stuff. My home congregation back in the mid-1980s, the pastor got away with it, right? Got away with it in so far as they moved him to a different congregation, Right. And I mean, you know, it's it's this is one of those things where it's like, well, uh, I guess this worked back then. But this doesn't work today. Um, you know, when when it comes to uh, uh, con- concerns or uh, sins, um, misappropriation misdeeds that are done one-on-one and only one other person can uh, can can claim it, that those things need to be taken seriously. So, uh, But I love this. I love this verse 20. As for those who persist, persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest uh, also may stand in fear. Uh, so what do you do when someone who is found in sin uh, and is found to be guilty of it, what do you do with them? A pastor, right? You publicly shame them. you do it. You rebuke them in the presence of everybody. Do it publicly so that everyone can see their humiliation, right? Humiliate them in public. That's what you do with pastors who get caught doing things they shouldn't do. Humiliate them in public. Why? Well, it's less likely they're going to do it again if they remain pastors, but so that the other pastors can see it and live with the fear of knowing that if they step out of line, they're going to be humiliated. I mean, it's like, well, you might lose your job. That, you know, that's terrible. But public humiliation, everyone's going to know about it, right? That's, for some people, that's reason enough to act appropriately. And so, you know, I am all for that. I am all for that. If you abuse your powers, let every, let's let everybody know about it. Uh, so, all right. <laughs> I like this chapter. I don't know. It's good stuff good stuff. I I guess it is kind of, you know, very church oriented. Uh, But here we go. Verses 22 through 23. And then we'll stop. And I think some of you are really going to like verse 23. Some of you are really going to like it. So hold in there with me. Verse 22, do not ordain anyone hastily and do not participate in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Do not ordain hastily. Do not rush to ordination. Understand that to be a pastor, to be ordained, to be a pastor is a—it's uh, an incredible privilege, and 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 so the the seminary process is more than just about education; it's about formation, it's about understanding the importance uh, and the privilege of being a pastor, and how uh, how you should um, you know how you should act af- after you're ordained. So don't 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 rush into that. And then verse twenty-three, the one I think you're all going to like. Uh, verse 23, no longer drink only water, but take a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So uh, Paul knew that Timothy needed to drink a little bit of wine from time to time, and he is telling him to do so. Take a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Uh, I mean, so is this, for some of you, is this your new favorite verse? Take a little wine. For the sake of your stomach, um, you know, is <laughs> I, I read this and I think, well, that'd be a cool confirmation verse, wouldn't it? Take a little wine, <laughs> but um, we know that wine can can be medically helpful, uh, and so uh, drink it. Don't don't abstain from it. Uh, drink it if it helps you, but don't drink to excess. That leads to sin. So uh, take uh, take a glass of wine whenever you need it. And uh, enjoy it and uh, let it help your stomach, let it help your soul, let it uh, help you relax, whatever it does for you, but uh, don't drink it in excess. So there we go. There is 1 Timothy chapter 5. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. We had, I mean, we had, you know, how to talk to elders, how to talk to people who are older than you, uh, the relationships that we have with one another. What do we do with widows? Um, what do we do with pastors? And uh, what do we do with wine? What do we do with wine? So, all right. We will stop there. That's a, to me, uh, that was a fun chapter. I don't know about you, but I just enjoyed going through that. That was a fun chapter. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Uh, Good and gracious God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this community of faith uh, that you have brought us up in and that we have now. Uh, Help us to treat one another as as brothers and sisters. Help us to get each other's back. Help us to uh, show each other grace. Help us to love each other the ways that you would have us love one another. Uh, And we pray for the widows out there. Uh, May they know that they are loved and may their needs be taken care of. Uh, We thank you so much for, for loving us, for forgiving us, and for giving us the promise of eternity. Eternal life and pray that you'd guide us each and every day in Jesus name. Amen. All right, everybody have a wonderful day and take good care of yourselves.